Well, we've seen some uh, wonderful qualities as we've been looking at the life of Joseph over the past weeks. And, you know, we've seen his story, how he's one who endured. Uh, he had hope and strength and vision. You know, all the things we, we need to be a victorious body of believers, uh, to be a part of the glorious bride. But there's one quality I want to consider uh, that we can see in his story, especially in uh, his confinements, right? Those two seasons where he was in a captivity. Uh, when he was in Potiphar's house, you know, Potiphar appointed Joseph as the steward of his household, right? The overseer, because he recognized that Joseph would be faithful. You only entrust your whole household. You only hand the keys to someone you know they're going to be faithful. They're going to take care of it. They're, I can trust them because I found them to be faithful. And everything he was asked to do, Joseph was faithful. And that's quite something when you consider, here's a, a young Hebrew boy, right? Still a, you know, he came there when he was a teenager and then, then I, we don't know how old he was when he was given the keys to Potiphar's house so to speak. But yet, uh, you know, the, the Hebrews were despised in uh, Egyptian society. And so here's this well-born, higher society individual, Potiphar, entrusts his whole household into Joseph's hand. He must have seen something in his life that gave him assurance. Right? He must have seen uh, some strong examples of faithfulness in Joseph's life so that Potiphar was at perfect ease in just letting Joseph take care of everything, just run his whole household. We can see this in Genesis 39 and verse 6, where it says, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He didn't know anything about what went on except the bread that he ate. And Joseph was a, a goodly person, well-favored. Right, So Potiphar... Uh, you could say he was only concerned that he had a good dinner when he got home from work. And he knew, Potiphar, he knew Joseph would take care of that. He would organize that. The rest was in Joseph's hands. Joseph ran his household. He trusted Joseph to be faithful. And then that continued on in the prison, right? Because the warden saw Joseph. I don't know if he must have just seen him and what Joseph did to to show that example of his trustworthiness, his faithfulness to do what he was asked. But, you know, he put the whole, every prisoner in that prison was under Joseph's care at one point, uh, which is amazing that this young man who's a Hebrew was put in charge of the prison in that way. I mean, he I don't know if he had a key to the outer door. <laughs> you know, he couldn't just walk out, but yet... He was in charge of everything that went on within with the prisoners. And, and so this, this thought of faithfulness. And you know, the, the scriptures or the Proverbs specifically, they ask a question. They make an observation and then they ask a question. And this is in Proverbs 20, verse 6. It presents the majority and then the minority. Here's the majority. Most everyone will proclaim their own goodness. Most people will extol their own virtues 
You know, they make sure no one misses the fact that they're good at something or right that, all, you know, those details about their lives that are worth hearing and so forth. But then Proverbs makes a profound statement, but a faithful man who can find. There's two things about this that we can understand. Well, there's more than that. Right? We can understand that most people's hearts, they want to be praised and lifted up, but there's no substance there. What's true substance? It's found when we're faithful. Right? And so two things about faithfulness. First, firstly, faithfulness is a rare commodity in heaven's sight, in the sight of God. It's more precious than gold or anything that can be found in this life that's considered precious. So it's rare. Second, you know, just like the other person who's extolling his own virtues, faithfulness is also a declaration. Right? We, how do we declare we are faithful? How do, how do we prove our faithfulness? Through our actions. Usually over a long period of time. You know, most people will do what's right when it suits them, right? When it's convenient and it suits their needs and they want people, it's usually when people are looking, well, I, I, better, I better do just what they want and I'll do over what they want because I want to be seen as someone who's good, but then no one's looking. The, the actions of faithfulness can drop off, right? Most people will do what's right when it suits them and they feel like it. But a faithful person does what's right day in, day out, unto the end. And God says that this kind of person, that's the kind of person I'm looking for. That's, that's who he's searching for. His eyes are searching throughout all the earth to find a certain type of people and so that he can show himself strong towards them. One of the qualities he's looking for in that as he's searching is faithfulness. In reality, faithfulness is one of the keys to the kingdom of God. That's, it's a big one. It's what God is looking for because that's who he is. Right? He's declared himself to be that. In fact, in Revelation, there's two words that summarize God's message for the age and really for the ages. Those two words are faithful and true. His word is true, but yet as his, we can trust in his word to be faithful. And he is the word, right? So we can trust him. He is faithful and he is true. And of course, also in Revelation, we know that famous verse, um, that who are, who are those who are with the Lord? They are called, chosen, and found faithful. Right? And so that's something we want to, to keep near and dear to our hearts. Our calling is to be faithful as Joseph was found faithful and many others in the, in the word of God of the, the heroes of faith. You know, Moses says that in Hebrews 3 and verse 2, a summary of his life. He was faithful in all of his house, or really God's house, of what God gave him to do. He was faithful. And so we saw Joseph. He was appointed as a steward over the house of Potiphar to manage his house, um, which is interesting. You know, Jesus gives several parables about being a steward. 
in the New Testament, doesn't he? He talks about that, being a steward or a servant in the house of the Lord and in a place of management or taking care of God's investments, his or the master's investments, his responsibilities, his the things he entrusts to the hand of the, the servant or the steward. There are the parables of the, the pounds and the talents, right, where the master gave to each servant an amount of money, and they, they were to use that to be fruitful. And each of those uh, each of those parables speak to us about the fact that we're all given abilities and we're all given opportunities. We're given gifts, we're given things that God equips us with to do his will, and then we're given opportunities. Our time on this earth, we have an opportunity to do his will. A large part of our calling is taking those gifts and opportunities and using them to give glory to God. And when we do, we hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I was just considering another parable of a steward we don't really talk about too much uh, in Scripture because it's kind of negative, right? But, but there's another parable of a, of a steward that Jesus said. It's quite interesting. He was a steward who had not been faithful. And it, it says this in Luke 16 and verse 1. Jesus, he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Right? And so this steward had been entrusted with the, the goods of, the, of his master, of his household, but he had not been faithful to manage the gifts and opportunities he'd been given. And the master said, look, steward, it's time to give an account. You can no longer continue as my steward because you weren't faithful in that. And that's kind of sobering in the sense, I mean, when we're thinking about those who are with the lamb, they're called and chosen, but they're found faithful. This steward was called to be a steward. He was chosen to be a steward, but he hadn't been faithful in what he'd been given. And so the master said, you can't be my steward. Now that puts the fear of the Lord in me. Oh God, I want to be faithful with, the, with what you have given, what you've entrusted in my life, you know, the, the word, uh, the investment by other people, the opportunities given on earth. God help us to be faithful unto the end. But what's interesting that Jesus brings out about this steward is that, you know, he didn't have a lot of motivation to be faithful until the Lord said, or until the master said, you're out of here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he was motivated. <laughs> But the thing that, you know, what's sad about the story is his motivation was not, oh, I better, I better do what the master said. His motivation was, well, I better, I better figure out how to take care of myself. His motivation was for himself now that he was no longer a part of the house of the master, you know, and, and so there's a message there for us as well. You know, there are people in the world that are very, very diligent to prepare for themselves, all right, to have a good life here on earth. And then there's even other sad cases like Demas, right? He left what God's appointed place because he loved this present world. He left the house of his master because he loved this present world and, uh, you know, then just living his life 
now. And there's a message for us in that, in that sense of, you know, to be, we must be faithful with the things God has given to us, right? And, and Jesus gave that. He's like, sometimes the children of this world are wiser than the children of light because they're being mindful to prepare to have a good life. Whereas sometimes we as the children of God can just take it easy and say, well, hey, I'm saved. I'm in the house of my master. But yet we have to do that work of faithfulness so that we lay up in store for us a wonderful inheritance and eternity to bring pleasure to our heavenly father. And Jesus ends this parable with an admonition of how we can be found faithful. It's in Luke 16 and verse 10. It says, And he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least will also be unjust in much. It's in the little things that it's, it's almost like the, what we do in the little things propel us forward to the big things. What, hap- what happens when we're faithful in the little things? It's like we're propelled forward to be faithful in the big things. But what happens when we're not faithful in the little things? The scary version? We're propelled forward to be unfaithful in the big things. Sometimes we look at the little things, well, I don't know if that really matters too much. It's so small. But you know, it's what we do in the small that determines what we do in the large situations. And so we have to determine, Lord, I want to be faithful in all of your house. And everything you ask me to do and all of the little opportunities help me to be faithful. You know, stewardship, a stewardship is a place of trust. The master entrusts the steward with responsibilities and trusts him to be faithful in every little area. Right. I mean, if you if you had a steward, you know, let's put ourselves in a position of running a house or running something and you had a servant who just did not care about the little things. You know, that causes all this trouble and consternation, especially if the, with the other stewards and, and everything like that. That doesn't make for a happy house. But we prove our faithfulness in those small things of life. You know, someone once said, faithfulness reveals character. It shows the kind of person you are, the person you want to be, and the person you're becoming. Because it's revealed in the mundane, everyday choices you make. Our character is revealed in those small areas. Those small decisions where we choose to be faithful. You know, even in our situation, we're a part of a small church here, and they might seem like small opportunities. You know, even just coming to church makes a big difference, you know, in a small congregation. But, you know, in the light of eternity, I'm just, I just think we haven't even comprehended what kind of an opportunity we have been given to come into the presence of God, to come into His, His tabernacle, to worship Him to be washed, to be changed, to be given light and life as even the Lord was speaking of prophetically, uh, to receive his words of direction and counsel and walk in that way and be made new. What a, an opportunity we have 
You know, they might seem like small things, but if we respond and are faithful in those small things, those small leadings that God gives us, the small opportunities he places before us, it propels us on to greater things. Now, I want to finish the, this story or, that, or, or this concept of faithfulness and looking at this by considering another story that I, I didn't really associate it with this concept of faithfulness before, but I, I really kind of was quickened with this. It's the story of Naaman. You remember Naaman? He was uh, a captain of the army of Syria, and he was a great man. Uh, he was well regarded by the king of Syria, but he had a problem. He had leprosy. And he had a little Hebrew girl as a servant in his house, and, uh, and she made the comment one day, oh, if he could just go to you know, the servant of the Lord, Elisha, and he would be healed. And that kind of filtered up the chain of command until the king heard it. And the king said, I'll send you there. And so... Long story short, Naaman gets sent to Elisha and he comes to the house of Elisha. But Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha sends his servant and just gives him a message. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. You'll be made clean. Now, what I want to bring out is about this story with Naaman is that he has been given a gift and an opportunity, hasn't he? I mean, his days were numbered as a leper in, in, you know, in, in Syria. I mean, it doesn't matter how great your position is. If, you, if you're a leper, you're an outcast and you're separated and so forth. But he had been given a gift and an opportunity to receive a glorious healing from God that would make him whole, but also would affect his eternity because we see his heart was turned toward the living God. But there were certain steps he had to take, weren't there? Uh, and we can, we can look at them as little steps that seemed insignificant, but he had to be faithful to follow them, faithful to respond to those steps. There were three things in this story I just want to consider that were kind of like requirements for faithfulness and to receive the blessing. The first thing was his expectation. Because one of the first problems Naaman faced is he had a certain expectation for how that would take place. Right? I think in, in the long journey from, well, it's not that long from Syria, Damascus, and you know, down to Israel, but still on that journey, I'm sure he was wondering, how's this going to take place? And he had, he had a picture in his mind of the, you know, Elisha coming out and striking his hand upon, upon Naaman and that leprous flesh would flee and he'd be made whole and it would be a glorious experience. But what happened? He didn't even, you know, Elisha wouldn't even come out to see him, which was a kind of a hit against his pride. Um, his, his servant was sent out and he just got this little obscure, obscure word of direction of a pathway he had to follow that didn't meet his expectations. Go dip in the Jordan. I mean, the, in reality, the Jordan was a kind of a small and insignificant little creek compared to the mighty rivers of Syria. Of course, it was not insignificant to God, is it? 
But one of the things we will face in our calling to be faithful is this concept of expectations. Because we all have our ideas of how we would like things to take place. And right, we have in our mind a picture of how God's will is going to be fulfilled and His promises are going to be fulfilled. And His, of course, the time frame is usually quicker on our end than God's. But to be faithful, all of those things have to be surrendered to God. We have to surrender our pathway, our timing, our ideas of how the plan of God are going to be fulfilled. And that opens the door for the power of God to flow, for the inheritance to, to, for us to come into our inheritance. There has to be a surrender of our thoughts and our expectations. Really, it's an exchange for a higher way, right? Because our thoughts are down here and God's thoughts are so much higher up there. And so when we surrender, we're really being put on a new upward destination. It's a heavenly destination because the end of that is heavenly Mount Zion. But we first have to lay down our expectations so we can come up So that was the first part. The next step is Naaman had to obey, right? He had to to say yes and be willing to do this insignificant kind of, you know, humbling act. But look at what Naaman's servants said to him. And this is in 2 Kings 5.13. They could tell their master was a little upset and was contemplating just going home. So they persuaded him. It's a good thing they did. And so his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much rather when he said, Go and wash and be clean. And so often for us, if God did some grand thing, we would want to do it. Right? And and even if it was a large thing, we would say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it because this is grand and mighty. But how much more if he, if he speaks a simple word to us to accomplish the same thing, go and wash and be made clean. How much more should we do that? The simple, small words that accomplish the same thing. Right? And the word can be different for each of us. Right? It could be a, a simple word of, well, go and study. Right? Go and feed upon me. Or maybe come to me at a certain time that I, I want to spend time with you. Or, or maybe just be faithful in the job I've given you to do. Or, you know, go and support the one I've put you under. All these just little simple words or all of the above can apply to. You know, sometimes we expect something grand, but God gives us a simple, small task to complete. Our part is to go and do, is to obey. The last step for Naaman, he had to do it, but we notice the word was not dip in the Jordan and you'll be clean. It was to dip seven times. All right. Our response is often, Lord, do I really need to do this seven times? Then we start negotiating with God. Lord, what about three times? I could stretch it to four times that I have to go through this. You know, four seasons of walking with you in this. But the faithful servant 
leaves the times and the seasons in the hand of God. You know, quite often, I, I think that the final and greatest key to faithfulness is our perseverance. Is we keep dipping until God brings that to pass. Until God fulfills and said, that's done. That's accomplished. It's as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, he who continues to the end, he who endures to the end, and of course the implication is in obedience, in that pathway of faithfulness. He who endures, that one will be saved. I'm going to reference one more story in closing. It kind of ties back to this thought of Naaman, but, but it's relating to this concept of endurance. You know, Jesus shared another story about the unjust judge. Remember that the widow kept coming to this unjust judge to get a good uh, resolution to the, the problem she was having, and the judge wouldn't do it. But she didn't give up. She kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And finally, the judge couldn't take it anymore. And he basically said, woman, I'm going to give you your judgment so you'll go away. But notice what I want us to take note. The thing I want to bring out is God's summary. Luke 18 and verse 6. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. But how much more will God avenge his own elect who cried day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. But then he ends with a question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he re really find faith on the earth? It might seem like God is taking a long time to accomplish his will in us, to see his plan and his purpose, to bring deliverance for the captive to be set free. That's exactly where Joseph was. Lord, how long? You know, he thought he was passing the test in Potiphar's house, and then he got to captivity 2.0 in the prison. And even then, he was, start, he was obtaining victory. He was in a place of trust and faithfulness. And Lord, how long? And when the, the butler and the baker came, he said, remember me to Pharaoh. Not yet, two more years. He had to be found fully faithful. But the Lord says, how much more shall me as the righteous judge hear you, though I bear long with you? You know, he bears with us. It's just as hard for the Lord in our trial as it is for us. Perhaps even more so because he's, he's a loving father and he sees what we're going through. But he endures with us for us to bring about his will. And when his work is accomplished, he will avenge us speedily. He'll bring a swift end to that trial. But the final question is so significant. When he comes, will he find that kind of faith in the earth? And what kind of faith is that? It's, it's those who have been faithful. Will he find those who are faithful? Many will proclaim their own greatness, but a faithful one who can find. That's, what, that's the question 
that he is asking. And that's the question, that's the answer he's looking for as he's returning again in the days to come. Will he find those who have been faithful in all my house? That's what God is searching for and longing for. Those who are faithful. They've heard his word, even though they're small, and they've done it unto the end. And so Joseph was faithful, was faithful in his trials to meet with God, to do what was asked of him. He didn't even take the small things lightly. Because of that, he was promoted and prepared to reign. And when we're faithful in the small things God gives to us, the small opportunities, the gifts that he's given to us, and we exercise them and we use them, that is the true declaration of our character, of who we are. And so like, Na- like Naaman, let's let go of our expectations of how we think things should go and what we desire, and let's lay hold of what God has laid before us to do those things that will please him, obey those little words, and persevere in it. And when we enter eternity, we will have laid up for us such an inheritance that we can't even imagine on earth, and we'll hear those awesome words. Well done, faithful servant. Those words, I think those words are going to ring for all eternity in the ears of those who were faithful. That'll remain. It'll be their joy because they were found faithful. Lord, we look to you. Lord, when we consider these examples and the words you spoke to us in in the scriptures. God, it's, our, it's the cry of our heart. Lord, we want to be those who are faithful servants, faithful stewards to what you've given us. Lord, what you've entrusted to us. Lord, what you've, the opportunities and the gifts that you've given to us. Lord, we want to be faithful to give you glory. Lord, to fulfill your will, to follow you in your way. Oh, we cry out to you that you would help us to do that. Lord, help us to lay down our own expectations. Oh, God, lead us in your way that we will, Lord, obey you and follow you in that. And that, Lord, we will endure to the end and be found faithful in what you've asked for us. We thank you and we bless you and worship you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.